Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really good. Move, get out of there. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, host and founder. And uh, today we bring you a very special episode. And hmm, how do we get into this? So a friend of mine who I'm about to introduce on this show have been working on a project for quite some time. And I felt like it was appropriate to devote an episode of Perfect Organism to what this project is. Because as you guys will all hear, it is, it, it is very pertinent to the alien community. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my friend Eric Wallace, who is holding up a photo of me with a face hugger right now. Um, and Eric and I met 19 years ago in 2001 when I was living in Pomona. I was in my early 20s. Eric was just 18. <laughs> and now we're much older. <laughs> yeah, right. So welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me. It's very honored to be here. Excited. I'm excited too. Uh, so this podcast, this episode of this podcast is part of an ongoing journey that Eric and I are on in terms of the Alien series and what our passion for it, my passion for it, as everyone knows, I'm the founder and the co-host, but also co-partner with my Pat my with my partner Patrick, who not that he can't be here. This is just a very specific episode and it was more apropos that it was just me and Eric, but Patrick is here in spirit. But we're here to talk to you all about a very specific thing, which is this project Eric and I have been working on called Alien Survival. And Alien Survival is a script that Eric and I have been working on for the past six months around. And we don't want to get too much into what the script is, but we can talk about why we're doing this. And... Mm -hmm. Um, but before we get into any of that and into any of the, the sort of the journey to the script and all of those things, what is your background with film, Eric? <laughs> and movies and your love of movies? Uh, well, uh, am I allowed to say where we're at? Sure. Yeah, okay. sure. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, we're, we happen to be sitting in my, um, in my hometown in the house that I grew up in, in, um, in the Mojave Desert in Southern California. Uh, there's a small town called Hesperia. It's between Las Vegas and Los Angeles. It's kind of right in the middle. So I grew up in the out here, you know, running around chasing the rattlesnakes and the <laughs> bugs and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think when you grow up in a place like that, um, you know, it doesn't really give you still to this day. There's no movie theater in my town. There is not a mall. There is not 
you know, there's one Starbucks. <laughs> so it's, if you look out the window and you can see, you know, the mountains and the, and the bugs and all this kind of stuff floating around. So, um, for me as a kid growing up here, it was really, it really forced me to use my imagination a lot. <clears throat> and, um, if you don't grow up in a city, you're not really, you don't really have all the distractions of, uh, you know, going to the mall and, you know, doing all this kind of stuff that you would normally do in the city. Uh, so it forces you to become like really introspective or, uh, you know, to use your imagination as a kid. So just naturally I would, I would, uh, you know, run around outside with my friends and we'd run down the street into the gully and play war, have, you know, fantasy stories and rescue the princess and all this kind of stuff, you know? And as I got a little older, <clears throat> I started taking a lot of photos and stuff just of nature and things like that. And that kind of developed, um, into shooting little films. And so I've actually been making films since I was a kid. It was weird to think about, uh, how that works because, um, you know, nowadays a lot of people just go to film school and they're told like, okay, this is how you get a shot. And this is how you write a script. And this is how you get a job in the film industry, <laughs> but <clears throat> it doesn't really always work like that. So for me, it was now I realize now that it was a really unique place to grow up. And, um, so I, I had a lot of, uh, intuitive practice or, or an intuition that kind of came out organically. And, and it was weird too, because <clears throat> when I was a kid, I remember I would, when I was taking photos, I remember like being able to look at a shot, like look through the, 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 the camera, just still stills, you know? And, and I had this like, almost like magical feeling, like I could look through it and I would know exactly how it looked and it felt right. And I was like, bang, and I would get it. And I kept doing that a lot over the years. And, and so when I kind of transition, transition that over into, um, a, a video camera, it was the same, but it was even more powerful because you could do more with it. So, um, so do you want me to get into like college and that kind of stuff? Or? Yeah. Well, what I can say is that Eric and I both come from backgrounds of traditional film school. Yeah. I went to Columbia college in Chicago. You went to USC. I, no, I went to art center. You went to art center. That's right. Yeah. And they have a whole film program, don't they? They do. Yeah. And I didn't know that Eric went to film school when Eric and I met, he was just 18 and I was in my early twenties. I can't remember exactly how old I was. Uh, I might have been 25 at the time. Um, and you might have known that I went to film school. Uh, when we first met, it was because I was flown out to California in 2001 to work on a documentary for this church that my sister belonged to and your sister belonged to. So they were all going to the same church, which which was Ichthus. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You were flown out? Yeah. Brian Ullman fl flew me out here to How work did he know about you? Through my sister. <laughs> How did he know your sister? Because uh, she was going to their church. And she was like, oh, my brother's in film school for this right now. And oh, so then, my gosh. I didn't know that. You didn't. Yeah. So. Wow. That's how that story started. And then I met your sister and then I met you because I remember your sister was like, yeah, my brother's coming down. And then 
Yeah. So all of a sudden you showed up with your skateboard and your <laughs> hair that was in your face. You're just, you're Justin Bieber hair. <laughs> yeah. And Eric yeah. and I hit it off pretty quickly. Like yeah. we would just watch movies and eat brownies. And we did that quite a bit. <laughs> like I had tons of movies. I was always watching movies and we didn't really have any, we weren't, we didn't have any formal training maybe at that point. Well, I did. I oh, had I guess formal you did. training. You did. You did. Um, and okay. But I wasn't really pursuing, aside from this like church documentary that I was working on, I yeah. wasn't really pursuing anything. And yeah. this was a very different time in my life. I was a very different person at that time. I yeah. think probably both of us were in, yeah. some, in some ways. And from there, we formed a friendship. Mm-hmm. And it's lasted. I mean, there was times, obviously, I moved away from California. I was gone for a long, long time. Eric and I kept up con- contact throughout the years here and there it wasn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it wasn't not every day no it wasn't every day at all but i you know we, i followed you i remember uh messaging you years ago about a photo that you had taken of yourself in this hat and this beanie and the white shirt it's like hey can i paint this photo because there was a profile shot of your face oh yeah that I, was that was from art center somebody yeah. took that of me i think i was like outside drinking a Tea or oh something. really? I loved yeah. it. I thought that it was, was like a center, great yeah. painting. I still have the photo because oh, really? I printed it out. Oh, I was okay. like, I'm going to paint this, and I never did. But oh, okay. I wanted to. <laughs> but years later, I moved back to California, and one of the first people that I connect with is you. Yeah. And we, <clears throat> I think we met and saw a movie together. I can't remember what movie it was. It was at the Edwards Ontario. Yeah, I remember in, that. In, was it The Matrix or no, no. Two this or is, something? No, no, or no. This is movie? recently. Oh, when recently. I, when, I re, when we reconnected, when I moved Oh, back yeah, yeah. So this would have been in 2015. And from there, we we weren't ever working on a project. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew what you were doing. You knew sort of what was going on in my life. I was moving. Yeah. Things weren't... I had just released a documentary less yeah. than a year before or about a year before in 2014 called No Place to Call Home about the life that I lived. I grew up in a hippie commune. Yeah, I did too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I actually never knew that about Eric until about three months ago. <clears throat> oh, um, really? I thought you knew that. No, I didn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I knew Eric's sister. I knew your sister better than I knew you for a while because I saw your sister every day because she was dating Josh, who was my roommate at the time when right. we lived in Pomona. Right, so, which was across the street from the glass house. Yes. Which people might be So when you know, came yeah. to visit, you were usually visiting her who was visiting Josh. Right. Um, and that's um, how all of this started. Um, so from there, so mm-hmm. we can, I think it's important that we, obviously we're talking about a lot of stuff that is not alien related on this alien podcast right now, but it's important that we, that the people who are listening to this know our history and right. know where we're at right now, but we're, we're getting to a point now where we're going to tell you this story. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much the story of the script that, but the story of how we are, where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a few months back in like May, I had been invited to the Fox offices for a second time to meet with a, a gentleman named Steve Zerlin, who was the one of the vice presidents of franchises at Fox. Mm-hmm. I'd met him before. I'd been there before. It was a really amazing experience to go up in the Fox offices, and it's like a big spaceship. Everything's white <laughs> and clean, and there's aliens on people's desks, and they have wow. a whole room full of like VR, and I got to experience all that, and it was a really amazing time. An incredible guy who just gave me two hours of his time and gave me all this stuff. Um, and he had been talking about coming on our show and doing a formal interview about the series, the expanded universe, where it's all at. And I was like, great. Then I got this idea in my head that I wonder if we sh- I should pitch him an alien script. This is a great opportunity. But before I even approached Eric on this, 
my first thoughts were, is this ethical to sort of, what's the word I'm Throw a script for? on his Throw list. a script, like all of a sudden, hey, can you wait a second? You want to, would you read this or would you listen to this pitch? And I wasn't really sure because the industry is very com- complicated and some people are like, no, if you don't have representation, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. Well, I've actually heard both things. You know, there's people that are very skittish, like you've said, and um, there's also many stories that I've heard where you just throw, uh, you know, a script on the desk or you send an email and people do read it. And then what from what I've heard from agencies too, like CAA or, you know, William Morris, that um, they're all kind of desperate to find a new script mm-hmm. and find the best, mm-hmm. the new great script mm-hmm. because there's an old saying in Hollywood is, still t- true today that it's really hard to find a good script. The hardest thing mm-hmm. is to find good material yep. and it really is true. And, and so, um, I, um, when I was working on space jam two, like, I don't know, a couple of months ago, one of the PAs told me that she was an executive assistant at Warner brothers and that, um, people who would send in scripts all the time. And like, if they put them in, they would show up in their email and uh, sometimes they would read it. Well, they would always, always read it, even if it's from someone who's un, un, unrepresented. Mm. That doesn't mean they would reply, but um, that happens all the time. So mm. I just thought, like, it's really interesting how the industry works. Like, you're right. There is, like, this very strict kind of protocol. You need an agent. You need a manager. You need this, that, and the other thing before you can. Or, or there's the, you, you know someone who. Who's, yeah, <laughs> who's connected you with someone else yeah. and they're like sure we'll look at it right, right. Um, so that was I knew Steve and I felt like this was a great opportunity to pitch a, a story um, in the alien universe and as someone who is a part of the only and largest alien podcast there is in terms of downloads and viewership and listenership and all of that I mm-hmm. felt like this was a great time to really tell a very interesting story so the first thing I did is I said Eric, well, before that, we should back up because before you and I had been talking about some scripts, you had started a, a, a Kickstarter. You're like, are you interested in maybe working and working in props or what would you like to do? So you and yeah. I had this relationship where we were like, we wanted to oh, work yeah, on something right. together. Yeah, Nothing really right. ever materialized. materialized. Yeah, because I had just, I think I had finished shooting my first film, Love Dream which just came out on Amazon like a month ago. It's on Amazon. Yeah. It's on Amazon and iTunes prime or just for download, like for um, purchase, like to rent really. Yeah. That's or awesome. to purchase. That's yeah. Great. So, so that was my first independent feature film that I had directed. And in the past I had done, worked on a lot of other independent films, um, and many different departments, you know, like cinematography, art direction, producing every, every job on a film set I've done. Um, over the past like 10 years. So um, prior to that, I had directed so many short films and commercials and music videos. I was just so tired of doing small stuff. And I got so tired of being being on all these really terrible indie indie films, some which never came to fruition because the producers were, you know, some of the producers are on drugs or like, you know, crazy stuff, whatever, for whatever reasons. They were just really poorly written scripts and all this kind of stuff. So I basically got to the point where I felt like, you know what, I could make a better movie with like zero budget. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to try to do that just to challenge myself. And, um, you know, I did it. I shot the whole thing on that Canon sitting over there, Canon 5D Mark III. And, you know, and uh, it came out great. It's on Amazon now. So it was like 
a really, it felt like a really great accomplishment to be able to do something for such a low cost uh, without anybody like bossing you around, like executives saying do this or do that or mm -hmm. whatever. So, um, but sorry, I got lost. What was your question? No, that's fine. Uh, we were just sort uh, of talking about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So then I was, I think that's around that time I was talking to you about that. Like, Hey, I just released my first film. I got into a LA film festival and, um, you know, I was looking for distribution at that time. And I, I was kind of, I'm always looking for talent. And, um, that's something that I feel like I have a, a special gift for. I can, I can look at people and see what they're really good at. And if you're a director or producer, that's a really, really important skill to have because if you get somebody in the wrong job, it will destroy the whole production. And I've seen that happen so many times. And so, um, um, yeah, I remember asking you, cause I knew about, I knew you were doing some uh, alien podcasts and Blade Runner podcasts and things like that. And, um, I had heard a few episodes and I was like, Whoa, this is cool. You know? So, um, and I know that you're a writer, but I, I don't think I had read too much of your material, but then I remember asking you about what was that script that you sent to me? And you were like, Oh, I'm surprised you read it. <laughs> it was, was, a, it, it, was the it was the one with the owl. It was like a Blade Runner thing. No, that's, that's, a no that's, that's the novella that was published um, yes. called notes from a bionic womb. Yeah, yes. That was, was beautiful. That was really beautifully written. And I remember when I got that from you, I was reading it and I, that, that was when it really hit me that you were a very talented screenwriter. Cause I had never read any of your material before that. I don't know how long ago that was. That was probably like, you read that probably two years ago. Yeah. A couple of years ago. So then, yeah. So then I was like, Whoa, this is cause you do a lot. You do, you're a great editor. That surprised me too. I haven't seen, <laughs> you keep surprising me. You're a great editor. You're a, a very knowledgeable cinema person. <laughs> and and you're also a great writer so i i wasn't really and because you also love props and you love um the dark crystal and all this kind of stuff so uh i remember when i was when we were in pomona we had you had like we had a little dungeon down there <laughs> yeah i slept in, I, my bedroom was in the basement essentially yeah and it was huge yeah. it was sort of sectioned off by curtains yeah in one part yeah, yeah. and you opened the curtains and there was like couches and a big movie screen yeah. in there and yeah. we'd go down there like yeah. and watch movies that and have great. little screenings and all that, that. that's great. when i first met you i yeah. remember that and you had like the dark crystal and uh what was that other movie that you love uh children of men or something no or it's one of those it was i don't remember i do like but, children of men but i wouldn't yeah was it the same director of amelie I know we were Oh, Amelie. City of Lost Children. Oh yeah, City of Lost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, who's this guy down here in the dungeon watching City of Lost Children? You know, I love that movie. It was so funny, but I felt like that's where we really connected mm -hmm. in that time. I don't even remember what year that was. Yeah, there was a connection. I don't even think you and I fully. We didn't even realize. Understand it, we our just... connection, but we were, <laughs> we loved movies. We loved spending time together, and I think yeah. both of us have this view of the world that's similar in terms of wanting to see wonder, wanting to see beauty, yeah. wanting to live a full experience. Mm -hmm. And also with your work, your work is very clean mm -hmm. and minimalist. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And your work has a cerebral quality to it, does, which I yeah. love and yeah. allows you to think. I love mm -hmm. art that allows me to think. We live in a society today in terms of the movie industry where films really don't allow you to think. They're telling you everything all mm -hmm. the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it, we are still, at, even at this point, we never really thought that we need to write an alien script or whatever. We were just yeah. like, we were just like, well, maybe we can work together. What would you like to do? Would you like to work in props or whatever? And we're sort of, but nothing yeah. really ever materialized. We just were having conversations right. here and there. Right. Um, right. And then you called me and you're like, oh, yes. Hey, I got this meeting and, um, you know, I think we both were thinking the same thing. Like, I remember saying like, well, you should, we should, you should write a script. We should write a script. Uh, because this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity mm-hmm. because I don't have any representation. I mm-hmm. don't have an agent or a manager or anything like that. So I've been, you know, knocking on doors for years, you know, trying to send out material. And, and I, I have um, other scripts that I've written and it's just so hard to get material into the hands of uh, pro- like producers or executive producers or studio heads if you don't know anybody and being from the desert in the middle of nowhere (laughs) it's really hard to kind of break into the industry so to speak so i have been stuck working in independent film for 10 years Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and i think there's a really strong benefit from that because once i started getting on bigger movie sets like um and seeing the huge productions um i i could you know the first thing I felt was like relief actually like, Oh my gosh, I actually know what I'm doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there were so many things they were doing on the huge budget movies that were very terrible. Like there were, the lighting was messed up and the, the way that they operated things was very slow. And, uh, I shot a short earlier this year and I think normally you're not supposed to get more than 24 shots in a day something like that. And I did 50 in one day. And that, even for me, that was like, I was exhausted. I was like, whoa, but I did 50 shots in one day. Hmm. And uh, on Space Jam 2, they were doing like eight. Wow. (laughs) And that's like a $250 million movie. Wow. So I was just like, oh my gosh, like this, I mean, granted, that's a different type of movie. I get it. You get all this VFX and stuff like that. But ILM was there and I was talking with them and ILM, just for every, anyone who doesn't know, Industrial Light and Magic, which is a effects company that George Lucas orig- originally set up. Right. Yeah. And, and I was talking to them and, um, you know, I, I was saying like, oh, I, you know, I have a couple of sci-fi scripts and, and you know, I want to do the creature, like the aliens all in camera. And what do you think about that? And he's like, your movie's going to look way better than this movie. <laughs> you know, so they're like telling me the top people at, at ILM were telling me you're right. The way you're doing it is the best way to do this mm-hmm. sort of movie, these sort of effects and things. And so that gave me a lot of, uh, made me feel relief and reassurance. Like, wow, I really do know what I'm doing. You know, it's, yeah. it's nice to hear that from people that have been working in that industry for so long. Totally. And I love Hitchcock. I love practical effects and, you know, Terminator 2 and, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and all this kind of stuff that I grew up watching was just, you know, very limited CGI, if any. And um, I talked to Dennis Murian a few times and he told me the same exact thing. I don't know if I told you this, but uh, I talked to him recently at a, at a screening at the Academy um, of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Uh, there was a Star Wars, like some kind of reunion thing where they compared the very first Star Wars, A New Hope with Rogue One and mm. all the technology, technological advances from the first Star Wars till that one and, and how they changed and 
um, you know, I was talking with Dennis Murian afterwards and I asked him the same thing, you know, if I, if I shoot this movie, you know, alien movie, uh, with all practical effects, um, do you think that's a good idea? He said, well, if you can shoot like Steve Spielberg, yep. <laughs> he's like, absolutely. He's like, that's the best way. So he's from, he worked with ILM for many years. Oh too. yeah. I so, mean, if you go, if anyone wants to look up Star Wars and behind the scenes and people who are involved in the effects, Dennis Muren's name is all over that. Yeah. Most every film he's been involved. In I mean, Star he did Wars. Jurassic Park. Yeah. He did yeah. ET. Oh he yeah. Did tons. Everything. He did everything. And so, yeah. So all that to say, uh, you know, I feel like um, it just felt really good to be in a place where if you're working in the independent film industry for so many years, you really have to know everyone's job very, very well. And you have to understand it and you have to know how to do it. And you have to wear many hats, too, so that um, you can really run the production tightly. So when you get on those bigger budget movies, there's so many people and they're all paid to do such a specific job. And it actually makes your job easier <laughs> when you have more of a budget and you have all these people to help because um, there's less things for you to do. Mm -hmm. You just have to have a vision. And I think it was, um, I think Quentin Tarantino said that uh, he, when he started directing, he was nervous because he's like, oh, I don't know every job. I don't know how to do everything. And he had a mentor, mentor who told him, it's not your job to create a vision it's your job to have a vision mm -hmm. it's your job to have a vision and it's your job to hire a talented artist to execute that so i think for me i'm fortunate because i've had i've been through the uh the trenches of independent film world <laughs> so i've had to do it and i also have a very clear vision of what i want so i actually have both Science. Totally. And there's this yeah. there's this thing that was sort of happening concurrently with us where you were getting this exposure with the films with Space Jam and then you've been on some other films and shows since then. Right. Yeah. And during this time, Eric and I have been talking. I also am a co-host on a Dark Crystal podcast. It's the only Dark Crystal podcast there is. And it's been pretty small and pretty niche for a long, long, long time. But in April, the director of the new Dark Crystal show on Netflix, his name is Louis Leterrier, he reached out to both myself and my partner or co-host, Phil, and we ended up meeting with him at his house, and he showed us all a bunch of footage from the show, and our jaws were on the floor, and we were pinching each other. We couldn't really believe what was happening was happening. Since that time, I have spent a lot of time with Louis, and we have become friends, and he, Louis... Just in case anyone doesn't know, he did Clash of the Titans. He did The Hulk with um, Edward Norton. He did Now You See Me, Now You Don't, uh, both of those films. He directed the first one. He produced the second one. He did Grimsby. He's done a lot of films. Mm -hmm. And I got to sit in the editing room with him several times crazy. during yeah. the, the final stages of The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And it was... An experience I will never forget. I will at this time I'm meeting writers. I'm you know we're at this place where Tarantino was for his latest film, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But so I'm being exposed to a little bit of the industry, a little bit of how things work. Mm -hmm. and, um, for and as you know, for the for a lot of the people who are bigger in these 
in this industry. This is sort of their daily life. This yeah. is what they do. <laughs> yeah, it's right. not that big of a deal. Yeah. But for us, the, the yeah. nobodies, yeah. it's a it's a steel door. So when someone oh, opens that door for you and says, come on in. Yeah, even a crack, you're um, like, oh my gosh, you go in. And yeah. You, yeah. So we're both yeah. getting exposure to this and it's exciting. Like, yeah. It doesn't yeah. mean like, it's also... It's a tightrope walk too, because for myself and Louis, we are genuinely friends. We talk on a weekly basis. Yeah. When he's here, I've seen him. In fact, you know, we went and saw a movie together last time he was here. Um, and a lot of people in the industry want to use people right. for their next stepping stone. Right. And I think for me, success for me means actually making a genuine friendship. Because yes. when you make a genuine friendship with someone and you care for them and you love them and they love you yeah. and you're going to want a journey together right. and as opposed to, Hey, what can you do for me? Which is yeah. sort of Hollywood, how, how oh, it yeah. goes. What can, Hey, nice to meet you. And in your head, you're thinking, what can you do for me? What can you, who do you know? You know? Right. Um, so these experiences are happening concurrently with us. And right before you and I decide to start working on the story of a script, mm-hmm. I, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine who are writers in the industry and I and or who are editors in the industry and I said you know I have this opportunity and I want to pitch a script to this man named Steve Zerlin and it's unsolicited what do you think because sometimes um and I eventually later on heard um from someone they were like you don't want to do this you don't oh yeah you'll get mixed like some people say don't and some people say yeah Yeah. and most everyone had said yes but the one person who said I wouldn't do this was work in the industry so I decided I'm going to do this. So then me and Eric talked and we said, let's get together and work on a story. So I drove up to the house that we're in right now. Yeah. And we worked on a story all night long, just beat by beat. What's happening when the characters, the plot, all of that. And it was really interesting, complicated conversations. Sometimes we didn't agree. Um, Sometimes most of the time we did. And, but really, we decided to, why we're doing this is, well, number one, I've been writing alien scripts since I was about 23. Uh, when I was 21, Alien Resurrection came out in the theater, and that was the first alien film I'd seen in the theater with Sigourney Weaver. When I was 16, Alien 3 came out, but I couldn't see it, and a lot of my listeners or the listeners of this show know that, like that I couldn't see Alien 3 because of the church I grew up in. They're like, no, no, you can't see it. There's too much cussing. <laughs> um, so when Alien Resurrection came out, I was working at a movie theater. So I remember when the trailer first dropped, and I was in a theater and it was packed full of people. And people were like, yeah, people were out of their seats screaming really? that the, tra- uh, the trailer was great. Yeah. Um, and I was excited. I saw the film seven times in theater. I don't know why. Uh, just trying to convince myself that it was good. It's not good. Um, <laughs> uh, also, during this time, during the development of Alien Survival, which we'll sort of get into in a little bit, yeah. Eric and I had went to USC to see a screening of yeah. Alien Resurrection with Jean-Pierre Genet, the director. Yeah. Um, Alec Gills Jr., who is one of the owners of ADI, which is uh, a studio ADI, which is Amalgamated Dynamics, and they're responsible for the effects from Aliens and Alien 3 and the AVP films, uh, Alien vs. Predator. And it was just a really, really great opportunity. I had met Alec before 
Alec and his partner, his business partner, Tom Woodruff, and I interviewed them for a show for Perfect Organism. It was funny because when I met him again, I'm like, hey, Alec, how you doing? Expecting him to, he didn't remember. Oh. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but He's kind of a funny guy. They talked yeah. to a lot of people. They yeah. talked to a lot of people. Yeah. But I was thinking, I'd hope that they would have remembered me, but it was a really great show, really lovely men, really open. Um, so I sort of brought that with me to the screening. So Eric and I are immersed and, but when we went to that screening, it was before we even started on the script. We just like, Hey, let's go to see the screening. And so I drove to Pasadena. I got in Eric's car and we went and it was a really, really great time. And, uh, the movie was still terrible. Um, but it was great. I mean, movie was beyond terrible. And like, yeah. sometimes you think, Oh, I'm seeing it on the big screen with all these people. And you're like, maybe it'll be a little bit better than I remember. And it wasn't. It was yeah. just it was just bad. It was weird hearing talking to the director because I I don't know if you heard this, but I asked him, oh, like, hey, do you have any advice for like, um, you know, new directors coming into the industry? He said, yeah, quit. Yeah. Said, yeah, was, don't do it. And he's it like, very, I just want to gag for every scene or something. Yeah, like it was very <laughs> interesting. It's very eye opening. Like that's yeah. one of the things Jean-Pierre Genet said. He was like, yeah. he thought, what gag could he put it? And I'm thinking. So sad, Dude, yeah. you this is an alien film. Why would you think like that? Yeah. But obviously they chose the wrong guy. Right. Whatever. Right, this isn't right, a show right. about right, alien right. resurrection. But it was eye-opening to us for sure. Yeah. And this is part of the journey that we felt like. And since, you know, we've had two formal alien films come out. 2012, we had Prometheus. Five years later in 2017, we had Alien Covenant. And there are people who love those films. Um, but largely the fan base and the audiences are... are divided and the tr the proof is in the pudding those films are not financially successful certainly prometheus was a little bit more financially successful than covenant but alien covenant tanked but really the conversations eric and i started having um were about character and we both watched alien and we realized the largest missing ingredient from the alien series is character it's yeah. people that we not just love and root for but that we believe in and that are smart. And that's where we started. And also just story, like a simple story yes. that people can follow and, and relate to. And it was weird with the USC thing because I remember I went to all, f was it four screenings? Yes, you did. I went to Alien, uh, where, where uh, just, that was my first time seeing Alien on the, on the big screen like that. The very first alien and that was that was shocking to yeah. me i i when i was a kid going back to the desert my friend peter down the street his dad had like a box set of alien like i think it was one two and three or something and i remember seeing it on the shelf going whoa like what is that you know he's like oh it's an alien movie you never saw that and i picked it up i was looking at it and i looked at him and i went wow your dad lets you watch this kind of stuff because <laughs> it looks so scary and mm -hmm. i saw the first one and i and i remember watching the very first movie going i remember thinking it was so violent and it's actually not that because you don't really see all this guts and blood everywhere or anything like that it's just like and when it does get violent for a minute it is yeah. violent but it's not generally right i mean the chest burst or whatever but i mean aside from that it's very uh like a hitchcock film mm -hmm. you know very much in your psychology and the darkness and all this kind of stuff. So, so that was my, you know, my friends, you know, we had like a queen, you know, the queen toy with the wings mm -hmm. and we had all this cool alien toys and stuff. So, so it was strange because even at a young age, I got exposed to alien um, and kind of got this kind of gotten swarmed with it. And then 
fast forward until you know a few months ago i i ended up seeing all four of the films uh on the big screen at usc and meeting with the directors and producers afterwards and um so i got a chance to meet ron ron chassette in the first one and and he was he was just so nice and and one thing i, w I do want to say about ron is like I, in the past i have been meeting with a lot of other producers and um they were they're just so many producers that i've met they have crazy egos or they're just like you know if you give me this i'll give you that kind of a deal and um and when i met ron it was the total opposite he was so genuine he was so kind he was so approachable he really loved his film you know we were talking about how great it looks still today on the big screen and everything and and i felt like like you were saying i want to work with people like that i want to work with people that you feel you can have a genuine friendship with and you're not trying to get something out of anybody mm -hmm. and um i can say that i really felt that with him i felt and his partner ed and um their uh, assistant steven and they were just so nice to me and they were just so uh you know they listened they weren't like these other directors or producers who would just kind of like shrug their shoulder at you like eh, get out of here mm -hmm. you know you're just you're nobody from nowhere don't talk to me and so that was that was really nice but um you know after after seeing those four movies and you know i've seen the newer ones too and we were kind of talking about that just going like wow these what happened to these <laughs> they just went way off the rails and there's no more character development there's no character arc there's not a story that or someone they can really root for and and it's almost making it more simplistic in a way so um you know when when i wrote the outline i mean it's right there on the board uh for alien survival that was actually based on us on a short film that i had shot like five years prior and um it was a sci-fi thing you know and it was a very simple kind of story about uh survival and family and um you know something that everybody can relate to <laughs> totally and so it's it, to me it really seemed like i remember when you called me you said hey would you be interested in working on an alien script i i first said no to you i don't know if you remember that i don't remember that i did say no i said no i think alien's been beaten to death and <laughs> i don't like where it's been go gone and i said i would only be interested if we can uh change this the direction and go back to like character and story mm -hmm. that's the only reason i said i would be interested and you're like yes i agree and i was like oh i was kind of surprised like oh okay yeah let's do it so <laughs> well and i've been in yeah. I, as you know um well let's finish the story a little bit then okay, we'll get yeah. more so what happens is eric and i we go through an outline of the what the script is going to be we agree after some discussion on certain points here and there characters whoever we agree and we're like, okay, we're going to start writing this. And we have plenty of time to write this because oh. the the meeting with, with um, Zerlin isn't going to be until at the end of July. Couple months away or yeah, something. Which yeah, which is, I was supposed to, I went to Comic-Con. And then he was like, well, after Comic-Con, we'll do it. And then eventually Fox finally changed hands into Disney. I stopped hearing from Steve. I was hearing rumors about him being fired or whatever. And I still don't really know what's going on with him. Um, but was what was odd about it was he always responded to me He'd always and mm -hmm. then he just stopped yeah. and um he a lot of people that i know who know him they also haven't heard a lot so all of a sudden i 
26 pages, no, 50-something pages yeah. into <laughs> into the script, I call you or I start texting you. I'm like, I have some bad news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I say, I don't think that this meeting is going to happen anymore. I think he's been fa- fired from Fox or he's going to leave or whatever. Um, he hasn't contacted me back about another. And, uh, and it was disappointing. And I lost all steam. I'm like, I just stopped writing. I was like... I was just done and it was frustrating. And also it's, this is the 40 year anniversary of alien. There's been a lot going on. I had a Mm. web series that I was developing and I do a podcast every day and I'm very, very busy a lot. And, um, I had a lot of power, a lot of passion and excitement. And then Steve felt like my only connection to anything, like the (laughs) only possibility that anyone who with the right connections could hear the story. And that fell through. Right. So I told Eric and, I, initially you were like, well, what if this person yeah. or what if yeah, that I person? Was, yeah. And in my head, I was like, no. Yeah, no, I was no. telling you, that was when I said, uh, Jamie, finish the script. Just get it done because there's a lot of other executives yeah. at Fox or elsewhere. And, and who knows, we might get a call tomorrow and you're, and from somebody else. And you were like, no, no, no. The wind is out of my sails. Totally. <laughs> I and like, I can't create if I don't have inspiration. I cannot <laughs> do it. I can't force myself to do it. Um, so we left it at, at we left it there. I think you had inspiration. You didn't have motivation. Motivation. You're right. You're right. You I, had inspiration. When I lose my motivation, yeah. though, I can't do it. I yeah. cannot physically do it. Yeah. So I lost my motivation and we stopped. And then. <laughs> and then. So, so then. Okay. I had another script called The Cream Colored Man. It was. I met. Okay. Let's back up a little bit. So at the very first alien screening, I got a chance to meet Ron. Chissette, and we had a great conversation. And I had. Uh, asked them to read another sci-fi script called The Cream Colored Man, um, which is like a different story. It's out in the Mojave Desert about an alien sighting that was based on a true story where I grew up here. Um, and um, this is a script that I have been working on for over a couple years. So I, you know, I, this has been in my head for 15 years. I'm like, all right, this is somewhat low-budget film. You know, it could be made for you know, under $10 million or whatever. And this is something that could get sold easily. Those are the thoughts in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a big, crazy, you know, big budget movie. So, um, so Steven, uh, Ron's assistant, uh, had a, was very kind enough to go through the material and, and review it. And, and, I kind of went through this whole vetting process of them looking at every short film and commercial and thing I've ever shot. They watched my movie Love Dream that's on Amazon. They, you know, uh, really took a look at all of my material and and um, they read the script and and well, this this is weird too. What happened was uh, the script was delivered to Ron Chassette Productions and. At that time, because Ron's getting old, I think he's 84 now, right? Mm-hmm. And he does have some health problems. And um, so it was so weird what happened because I think at the same time that you, around the same time that you got the bad news from Fox and they said, this guy's laid off or whatever, um, my Cream Colored Man script was delivered to Ron Shissette Productions. And I was like, yay. And then like a few days later, I was told, Oh, sorry, Eric. They can't read it. Um, Ron is not taking on any more projects because he's having health issues. He can't. 
he can't do any more producing or something. So I was like the same as you. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Finally, I met a producer that I really like, that I love his work. He did Minority Report, he did Alien, he did Total Recall. He's done so many great films. I'm like, yay, I'm so happy. <laughs> Finally, somebody cool. I'm like, yes, yes. And then bang, you got that. And then bang, I got the email saying, sorry, Eric, they can't read it. He mm -hmm. can't read it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were both like, oh, man, <laughs> this is like terrible, right? And so then... I remember saying to you, hey, just get get the script done. Just just get it done. Whatever. There's many other executives. There's people that we could send it to. And you you had the wind out of your cells. I had the wind out of my cells. And we were both kind of like, okay, what's but the next step? But then we decided that I remember calling you and saying, Eric, I feel like we should be working together. We should be doing something together. And so we decided, what, what if we had a show where we talked about cinema? And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And we talked a little bit about it, and we went into some depth, and that was on a Monday. And then that Tuesday, you called me. Okay, yeah. Then that Tuesday, I called you, and I said, I just got an email from uh, Ron Shitset Productions, and they read my script, Cream Colored Man, and they loved it. But for some reason, some weird reason, they weren't able to, they were going to pass on it. But they had heard that we were working on an alien script, and Ron said he was very interested and they want to see it as soon as possible and i think that was that was a tuesday that was a tuesday and i said oh man this is hilarious i said <laughs> okay and i texted you i told them i would get it to him early next week like mm -hmm. a monday mm -hmm. so we had you know three days to get a script done basically but granted we had already we had a very solid outline so anyway I sent you. I sent. I sent you a message. I right, and I said, Jamie. I just got a message from Ron Chassette, and they want to read an alien script. And you were like, No, you didn't. Well, yeah, well I don't <laughs> think I said no, you didn't. I just you're didn't like, believe it. You didn't believe me. I was like, He's trying to get me to finish this script, like, and I was like, I don't know. And then I'm like, I want to see it. I want to see. The, I want to see the email. Yeah, show me the email. And you were telling me, and then you yeah. sent me the email. I'm like, Okay, maybe this is true. Not that I felt like you were a liar. I just thought he's trying to inspire me. He's trying to motivate me. That's good. And I wasn't being convinced. And then, yeah. then I realized, okay, this is on. It's on. Yeah. And, and then I started making fun of you saying, oh, I told you so. You know? you <laughs> um, just but it. the funny thing is, is so when I started writing that script, I used Final, Cut, uh, Final Draft on my iPad. Oh, God. And... I was 56 or 50-something pages in, and I was like, okay, I'll bring it up, and I couldn't bring it up. Yeah, something and happened. I had just reinstalled a new OS. Final Draft was not <laughs> opening. I had 26 pages of it that Eric had, um, yeah. and I could not get Final Draft. Final Draft still isn't opening. I paid $20 for that program. It's still not working, whatever. Um, and so then you were like, oh, there's this program online that you could use, and we Celtics, could write Celtics, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, and then I'm like, oh, i got to start back essentially not the beginning i mean the first 20 pages yeah so the setup is there 25 pages <laughs> oh like yeah 30 pages yeah and so we set that up and and by this time it was like thursday or yeah. something um and then wednesday it was or thursday. It, wednesday or thursday and i had two days off which was saturday and sunday i believe and i realized i have to get this done i have to do yeah. it yeah because i gave them like a monday deadline I said, I'll have it to you by Monday next week, yeah. which was like 
three day, three or four days yeah. a day. And you were like, oh, oh, you're like sweating. I, I was, I was, many. I've <laughs> never had to write that fast before. And I felt like the writing was going to suffer. I mean, obviously it's a first draft. There are things that need to be tweaked, all sorts of things. Um, but it, but let me just say it went, it came out beautiful. It, did. it is a very well-written first draft. And, and I was, you know, you think you finished like in three days. Well, what happened right? was I, Finished a lot of it, and then on Sunday, I decided I'm going to come up here, yeah. and I'm going to finish it with you. Yeah. So we came up here, and I brought my laptop, and I was sitting here at this this table, and you were on the other side, and yeah. I was just writing, 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 right. writing. And then finally, I ended up on the couch over there <laughs> with that little desk, writing, yeah. writing, 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 <laughs> writing, writing, writing. And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. we finished. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah, the yeah. next morning, or no, that same morning, you get the script um, registered with... Oh, copyrighted. Copywritten. Yes, with the um, U.S. Copyright yep. Office online. And uh, yeah. we sent it out. Or you yeah. sent it out. Well, we... I, yeah. And I also had to put together that like 40-page treatment. I had I put together a like uh, art direction treatment with locations, hair, makeup, wardrobe, um, all the design and production design for the film's uh, look, you know. And um, it really helps people to see that. And... Also, there was that short film that I had shot five years earlier that the the story uh, was originally based on, and so I basically took that, I recut it a little bit, I added a few s extra shots, and I changed the music, and then I put the Alien Survival titles on the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just changed the title so uh, that we at least we would have something to show them as a proof of concept mm -hmm. sort of a thing. Um, and so I sent all that to Ron Chassette's productions on, I think it was Monday afternoon. So um, typically when you send a script out, you just send a script. So um, to have a whole package like that mm -hmm. really, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's it, add weight. it adds weight to it. And, yeah. and also, I'm someone, again, who I wrote 120 or longer, 140-page sequel script to Alien Resurrection when I was 23. I was right. that. I mean, I've been an Alien fan since I was yeah. in my teens. I've been building aliens and making them. But I, I'm a writer. Like I, I, That's what I am. I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. Um, yeah. But I've been immersed in this world. Like Originally, before I did the podcast, and this is when I was in my early 20s, I had a, a, a zine called At Play in the Viper Pit that I sent out via hotmail and I would just write up articles and do sorts and do giveaways and all these yeah, people were yeah, on the mailing yeah, list. And yeah. I met, um, through that, I met Carrie Shea and she was a visual effects coordinator on alien resurrection. And she reached out to me and said, wow. Hey, we're interested in what fans think and blah, blah, wow, blah. And she crazy. was talking, and this is yeah. back before social media or anything. <laughs> yeah. And of course for me, that got me even more excited about like, yeah. I'm, little bit closer to you know right um and she talked to me about like sending me like a version of the script from alien resurrection but she never did um oddly enough since i've been back in la i've tried to reconnect with her and i don't know if she just doesn't remember me but she's never right. really i know or no 1990s or, or 19 1990s that's when it was because the film came out in 97 um, oh gosh! But I don't think she remembers me, and she was like, "Hey, if you're ever in LA, let me know." And I tried to, but she didn't. I think she might have been like, "Who is this strange nerd?" Um, yeah. At any rate, I've been immersed in Alien for a long time, all my life. Right. All of my life, these characters have been really close to me. I know what works. I know why Aliens is so successful. 
Yeah. I know why people rally around that film more than any other. I know why Alien Three was a little bit harder of a pill for film for audiences and fans to to swallow. I know why Alien was success, successful, and much of it has to do with story and characters. And when you can see people up on screen who you can identify with and you can believe in, you're in. You're sold. They can yeah. take you wherever you they want to go because yeah. you believe in them. And so. I've been immersed in this world for a long, 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 long time, knowing, obviously, I'm not the authority on this. If you, you can talk to fans in the alien community, and everyone's going to have a little bit of a different take. The fan community isn't always right. You never want to yeah. do what fans want you to do, because most times, they don't know what they want you to do. They just want a good product, mm -hmm. but they can't tell you what that product is, right. but they want something good. But it can't yeah. be this, and it has to be new, but it can't be old, but it can't be right. too old, but it can't be too new. Yeah. So you'll hear a bunch of different things. So... Eric and I working together really understood that Alien is about the human journey. That's right. what it's about. There are a lot of great ideas in the f that can come along with that human journey, a lot of exploration, but any great lofty ideas without a character or characters to mm. bring us along, they all fall flat. And really, again, the proof is in the pudding. What do we see today? We see these films not doing well financially. Mm. They're not succeeding. People aren't investing. And you certainly might have some factions of people who love the prequels, but largely they're unsuccessful. Largely there's a disconnect there where people feel like these characters are stupid and I don't like them and this doesn't make any sense and this doesn't make any sense. And um, a lot of frustration in the alien fandom has been frustrated since 1992 when alien three came out that's a long time so you yeah, have a fandom right. that's just been going through disappointment after disappointment after disappointment yeah. and i felt like not just as a writer um but certainly as a team between you between you and i but certainly as one of the leaders of fandom and alien fandom i felt like i know I know what's going to make an alien film successful. Right. I know what people are looking for. I know why people rally around Vasquez and Ripley and Drake and all of the characters from Aliens. I know why people rally around Parker and Brett and mm -hmm. Lambert, even though they die, because they were real. Yeah. Because they felt like you and me. Mm -hmm. And that is the ingredient that is missing from the Alien series. And so we took all of that knowledge. We took all of those things that Eric and I really agreed with, and we thought... What story can we tell? And yeah. we decided we decided to write that script. And also, too, I I noticed the first two movies they really are about hope, if you think about mm -hmm. it, and they're about love. And um, the first Alien, you know, this like stuck in this ship, and she, you know Ripley's hoping she can get rid of this damn thing, and in the end she does. And there's a, a very beautiful resolution. And in the second film, um, I'm sure you know about this, but I recently just saw a deleted scene that had Ripley uh, sitting down. Mm -hmm. On the bench. Yes. Yep. And she was a mother mm -hmm. who had lost it's her. It's in the special edition of Aliens. Yes. That's lost the director's her. cut. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't know about that mm -hmm. cutout scene. Mm -hmm. And that really pissed me off that the studio cut that scene out because that really... When she finds Newt, that really, really tightens that uh, motivation up for mm -hmm. her to protect the little girl even more because she lost her own little girl. Mm -hmm. And um, what is that a story of? It's the story of love and family and caring for somebody and, and hope, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and so 
those are very basic human needs that everybody has and all the new films don't have that <laughs> and i would also argue that or maybe not even argue ripley is a character that does the right thing yeah even though it's difficult for her even right. though she loses a lot <clears throat> she does the right thing time and, and time again and people don't believe in her yeah. and people don't believe in her and she's a bit of a whistleblower for sure yeah. and she becomes obviously a bit of a, a threat and uh uh a liability to this company that she used to work for and she finds herself in these situations and a lot of people rally around people who do the right thing mm -hmm. and the great thing about like obviously the the films have not featured ripley since 1997 when alien resurrection but that wasn't the same ripley it was a different ripley it's a whole different story it was 200 years in the future i don't really talk about that film because it's in its own separate universe um but why Ripley is so important to people, not because it's Sigourney Weaver or the character for sure. Those things are important, but there was something about Ripley that made the films palatable, that made the films relatable, that mm -hmm. felt like, no, we're with you. We're wait, we're, yes, yeah, she was yeah, human. Yeah. And if you do not have that human connection, you do not have a film. Right. Period. End of story. And I don't care yeah. what people can, what people want to argue Unless it's a film like 2001, which was a film of ideas, but it came out right. in a time where those effects and those ideas yeah. were never presented before. Right. Of course yeah. that film did well. Yeah. But a film that's just based off ideas that have no humans to further those ideas or explore them. Yeah. Like even, for instance, in Alien, what makes the discovery of the derelict ship and the space jockey so amazing is that there are people there discovering it right. in <laughs> silence yeah. and it's like you and me and we're like, all this? Yeah. we're with them when we're all discovering yeah. this at the same time and they're like what Beautiful. the hell is this yeah. you know it's amazing and without folk without that focus on human characters there is no alien period end of story now there is a whole separate discussion on can the alien be scary the tropes, all of those things. And those are worthy discussions. And I think definitely the alien can be scary and you can bring it back to the, yeah, you just need the right people to do it. And oftentimes right. in these films, when these studio systems want to, Oh, we should make another film because we need to make some profit off yeah. this IP. <laughs> right. They'll bring in writers. Yeah. Why don't you write the first draft? And these people who aren't passionate, they're like, Oh yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. I like alien. And so they'll write a first draft and then someone else will write a second draft the reason why the first two films were so successful is because you had people who were burning with a story to tell. Right. With James right. Cameron in Aliens, oh, yeah. he had written this uh, script called Mother, and it dealt with this this female character, and she had to fight this creature in the end in a power loader. A lot of similar things that you see in Alien was in this original script. Wow. So he took a lot of those things, much yeah. like what we did with The Cream-Colored Man. Right. You. Right. lifted a lot of that to yeah. reuse in the story that we told but again why those films are so successful even in the beginning was number one dan o'bannon had a story he wanted to tell he had a story he wanted to tell with alien and it got to be it was rewritten but it was his story those were his words a lot of the, the dialogue yeah. you see in alien yeah. are is his dialogue yeah um and you feel that passion. And he was a nobody. Yeah, at that he was time. A nobody. He was and, living on Ron's and, couch. And, <laughs> and in honor of that, almost yeah. in the legacy of that, I feel like you and I are a version of that. We right, are right. the Ron Shusset and Dan O'Bannon yeah, of, of our time. Of 2019. And we're yeah. broke and yeah. we're living place to place sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
and we have a story that we want to tell and we think it's a really, really good story. It's a human story. And that's, we don't really want to get too into the story. We want to keep it ideally. Surprise. We, yeah. We, we, ideally we want um, Fox to take notice and right. we believe that this story is what alien is about. It is about people. It is about ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. It's about love. It's about redemption. It's about family doing too. the right thing. It's about family community. Yeah. But it's also yeah. not set in. It's not, it doesn't feature people exploring another derelict. Like we've seen the last two films where you sort of see the same things over and over. Alien oh, ship. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. something there's a, there's a planet. Let's set down on it. Here's a derelict. Oh no, let's go on the derelict. Oh, there's an alien egg. That's been repeated the last two films in Prometheus and in Alien Covenant. Those things, they do the same things again over right. and over and over. Right. And you and I really felt like, how do we make this story fresh? What do we do? What do we feature? So we decided we were going to do some really different but unique things. And I really feel like we we achieved those things. Of course, this, this script is in its first form. It's probably going to have to go through some more. But It's, so very, it's solid, though. It's it a is. very solid first it draft. It is. And and one thing too I wanted to um, mention was I am not a cra- I love Alien the first two films a lot but I'm not like a crazy Alien fan that knows everything about all the movies and I think that's my strength because when I first brought this idea you know this rough outline to you um, I was looking for you to tell me is this going to be good for Alien and and I was very excited to hear because my strength is in storytelling mm-hmm. and what makes a good story. It doesn't matter if it's a science fiction story or a drama or a thriller or whatever. And I think any director's strength always should be story first, not how the movie looks and all that kind of stuff. That's secondary. Um, and so I spend a lot of time uh, studying story, reading books about storytelling. You know, Joseph... Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces and The Hero's Journey and you know there's a billion screenwriting books out there I'm always researching and and watching movies and really trying to figure out what really moves people Mm -hmm. and what people connect with so I think that's my strength and um, so when I brought that you know outline to you and I asked do you think this will be a good for Alien and you were very affirmative yes that made me feel like oh great because jamie knows what he's talking about (laughs) for for the alien fans you know and i think i knew that too because like i said before in a way i just we just simplified it to more core values human values Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and and so um to me it's like a very powerful thing to do when you can have a piece of material that is universal mm-hmm. that relates to every person of every age and every culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, sadly, there's not a lot of movies that are doing that, but back in the seventies and eighties, there was a lot more of that type of screenwriting and storytelling going on. And I think it's important to note that as we think about the films that dominate the studio industry now, and what yeah. are those films? They're Marvel films, they're superhero films, or they want to be superhero films. I mean, even now, I haven't seen Joker, but it's out in theaters now, and it's yeah. going to be the number one R-rated film of all time in terms of profit, and it's supposed to be really amazing. Um, I'm act- I want to go and see it now. I'm hearing so much about it that how much of a human story it is mm-hmm. um, that I'm interested in it. But 
what I see with Marvel happening with Marvel, if you take away the commerce, because yeah. lar- largely we've had these discussions, those films are commerce. They're really, they're all made very similarly. They they don't really have any memorable score. Right. I don't even remember the theme for, for <laughs> any of those X-Men movies. films. Yeah. They're smart films in terms of they're safe. They're very, yeah. very safe. Um, but why are people rallying around these films? What is it? I'm going to ask you this question. Oh, first. yeah. Well, I think I answered this before. Uh, the studios have control to put out whatever they want, crap or otherwise. So you cannot be picking and choosing what you want to see uh, in the theaters because you don't have the control over what's being created. Mm-hmm. The studios do. Mm-hmm. And so to some extent, you, there's a very limited uh, option for choices in movies these days because um, you can't just like, you know, email Fox and say, hey, can you make a cream colored man or can you do this? No, it's like really, really, really hard to get a script. Well, they're risk averse. Yes, and they know yes. what's making money and right. what's making money is superhero films. But I think for me, though, the answer to the question, though, is why are these films making money? Yes, number one, that's all they're releasing. That's all they're releasing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for essentially. Yeah. And they're not. And if they are releasing different things, they're not promoting them. But they do much. have what we talked about is hope. Yeah, they have. They hope have hope, but they also have characters like I find myself yeah. thinking about. Captain America. I find myself thinking about the Winter Soldier. I find myself thinking about these characters. Why do I find myself thinking about them? Because they're well performed and well written. That's, that's the yeah. that's the honest truth. Despite these films being commerce, and there's a lot of controversy coming from people like Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola in terms of these films being despicable and. Their, I agree with them. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree with their sentiment. I, I understand what they're saying. Yeah. I understand really that these films are toppling over any other idea like no one's making any other like all of the streaming people are relying on the streaming services to make better films because the studio system is like nope unless it's a tentpole superhero film or or similar we're not interested in these movies and i think you have these auteurs these craftsmen these these artists who have made amazing films like apocalypse now like i mean just the godfather you, you know you can name so many and they're like where do we belong in this well, they and they feel like they don't belong, and they are going to like Netflix, which is a very worthy streaming, the number one streaming service right now, to get their films made because no, these studios don't want to make their films anymore. Again, but I really, how I want to relate this back to our script, Alien Survival, is that a lot of people do believe in the characters in the Marvel films. There's a lot of the characters are well written, and you, they feel like we've been on this journey with them for years and years and years. That's why there was a lot of emotion when Tony Stark died at the end of. Um, was it Endgame uh, uh, Avengers Endgame that was like the last big tentpole release of phase one of the Avengers I, had, films I haven't seen any of those films um, I haven't watched them yeah I know and you wouldn't but I'm just saying interesting. But, here, but, here, but here's what's important about these films yeah. mass audiences are going and they're making hand over fist even yeah. um, like I've seen the Ant-Man I've seen Ant-Man and I thought it was fun. And then I tried to watch the sequel, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I turned it off. And I'm like, I was no. bored, stiff. Yeah. Not that it was bad. I just like, this is safe, saccharine. Bull- I know where, I know how it's going to end. And But the important thing is people want something to believe in. People want something to believe in. Yeah. And I've said this over and over and over and over. And if you don't give them something to believe in, they're not going to come see your films. And 
with the first Alien film, two for sure, certainly three, which has a much larger appreciation today than it used to when it came out. Um, people believed in those characters. They believed in Ripley. She was real. She, and she, Ripley was also Sam's agenda. She wasn't just, oh, look, this great empowering female character. She just was there. And they didn't need to prove a point with her. They just needed to write her well, and she needed to be performed well. And they did that in spades. And not just Ripley, all of those characters in those films, whether, again, it was Parker or Dallas or Ash or Drake or Vasquez or yeah. Gorman or Burke or Hicks or Newt, all of those characters were so incredibly portrayed and written, we believed it. And they were they did not have an agenda attached to them. They didn't right. have this female <laughs> alien is yeah. female. We don't need it. If right. You can show you can story. show people yeah. a transsexual character, and if people believed in them enough, they wouldn't care about yeah. their gender yeah, right. or or right. their gender, whatever. Like, and that's what's important. It's about character. It's about making people believe in character. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling the people from Fox listening and Disney, if you do not focus on character, if you do not. Um, give people a character that they can believe in that is smart, that makes smart decisions, but is also human, you will not have a successful alien film. End of story. End of story. And we're in a time where social media can tank films. And when Covenant released, there was a lot of excitement in the first weekend. And then you go to social media and you go into the fan groups and people were ripping it apart and it flopped the next weekend and it lost. It made $71 million off a off a $97 million budget domestically and worldwide it made $225 million, which it didn't even so it didn't even make its marketing no. like I mean and also, also people have to remember that when movies release studios don't get all that profit they share profits with the theaters because theaters are renting it and the first weekend those films make the most money the studios get that money the second weekend studios get less of that money so when you hear about a, a, a film being profitable all of those profits aren't going to studios. Mm. Now studios can work out the, they can negotiate with theater chains how much they're going to get. And there's infamous, there's many stories of studios asking for a hundred percent profits for the first week. And then the, the, the theater chains will get profits next. That's an impossible thing. George Lucas worked that out, I think, with The Phantom Menace. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, where he got 100% of the profits for yeah. the first like week or two. Two weeks, yeah. 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 Um, that was smart. But, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. And Alien is a human story. Alien is a human story. And I can't say that more enough. Alien is a human story. It's not about the alien. It's about the people. And until Fox can make that, and I'm not saying I'm an expert or we're an expert, but I, I'm telling you, sure as shit, <laughs> the direction it's been going it will not be successful. It has not been successful. It has not been successful. So I believe it is time to listen to a different voice. And I think that that voice is ours. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I know that there was a lot to hear. Um, I also want to take this opportunity to, Eric and I started a, a YouTube show i don't even want to call it a channel i technically it is a channel but there's a show called that we are both the hosts of it's a video show featuring us talking about films the art of films the cinema of films the directors the filmmakers called the art of cinema and that is on youtube um and that by the time you're listening to it now we'll be in our first episode so we would we're going to share a, a link to the, the youtube channel 
in the episode notes for this episode. And we would love for you to, we're going to be talking more about our script, more about alien, discussing alien in depth. And we'd love for you to take a listen. And uh, so we'll leave it there. Thanks, Eric, for coming on and talking about it. You're welcome. This. Thank you for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.